It is high noon. Toronto Today, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, the TSN app, or even the iHeartRadio app, wherever you're listening to us. We love having you. Thanks for being with us on TSN 1050. Uh, Alex Marvez of Sirius XM. Going to talk some NFL in a couple minutes from now and more on Johnny Manziel to the Montreal Alouettes. Our Dwayne Ford figuring that Manziel's first start will come next week as Montreal hosts the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which is a delicious bit of ironing, if you will. You just hope, Manziel, you hope it's together. Right, a, a kid who's had so much problem. And I say kid; he's in his twenties. A guy who's had so many troubles so far. Looks like everything's coming together. Going to a city known well within Canada for its vices, and that is where Johnny will ply his trade. Francesco Molinari, the champion uh, golfer of the universe, I believe they called it for winning the Open Championship, the British Open, if you will. Uh, Producer Joe, if you have one second, I'd like to get your take on the. Uh, the Open Championship is not listening to me whatsoever. That is amazing. Producer Joe, join me for one second if, if you could. I want to get your take on what was the best thing to come from the Open Championship this, uh, this, in the, through these four days. Best thing from the Open Championship. Uh, someone yelling in Tiger Woods' backswing on 18. Uh, Eddie Pepperell, who said, I shot 67 when I was super hungover. And then he went out and just got treed and then came back and played, shot a 67 hungover. Or uh, Jordan Spieth copping to getting a nine-pound haircut before Saturday's round. I would say, for me, it's Pepperell just because... I do the same thing every Sunday as well, but I shoot a 96 um, and play terribly, and I am sweating the whole time. He kept his composure. I will give him that. It was amazing. But in second, it is Tiger Woods getting so frustrated because the guy yells in his backswing, and he hits like a 330-yard drive, and he has like a wicked shot in and sticks it. Like... If a bird chirps in my backswing, I chunk it 15 yards. <laughs> so good for him on that one. Yeah, and that hole worked out perfectly. It's like no one ever yelled, no one shouted in his backswing because the second shot, beautifully on, boom, it's in. Hey, it all it all worked out. He missed, he missed the putt from like six feet and then tapped it in for yeah, par. Yeah, yeah he did. so nothing super bad. Nothing could have gone much better, right? You could have put it within five feet if someone doesn't yell. But uh, yeah, I love uh, I love golfers who are like no, I was pretty hungover. Um, yeah, straight out of Tin Cup was Eddie Pepperell. That was that was pretty solid, and he finished tied for sixth at five under par, even with Mister Tiger Woods. So much to look forward to in this NFL season. August second, the Hall of Fame game coming up, and man, I I don't know. Am I could I be possibly more excited for a player outside of uh, Lamar Jackson? of the Baltimore Ravens. Yes, uh, Saquon Barkley at number two is an interesting idea. I don't know if it's an idea from 1984, but it's an interesting idea. The Giants so insistent that people who think running backs are, are you know, have diminished value are just crazy. I'm staking my draft on it and that they take a running back number two. But in the Giants' defense, since Tiki Barber leaving, they haven't really had a running back they could rely on. And they've tried. They've tried multiple times to have, you know, a back by committee. They've tried to have a couple. One of their rookies, I can't remember his last name right now, uh, he had a good season, and then he ended up being injured, and he had to retire. They've had a lot of issues in the back end, and it might help taking some pressure from Eli, because ultimately, like you've seen, when there's no run game, 
You just force the quarterback's hand, and it works. Let me ask you this question. Uh, is Eli Manning any good? I think Eli Manning is better than people make him out to be. Eli really? Manning is like the nickelback of quarterbacks. See, and Everybody I... pretends to hate him, but they all kind of listen, and they all kind of understand that he's still a good quarterback. Oh, I... I disagree, Your Honor. Really? For I'm I don't have a list in front of me of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, but of quarterbacks with two Super Bowls, he's got to be the worst. He's well, got to be the worst. If you look at his receiving core, there's not much that's been there over the last few years. Like there's been so many injuries, and since he's won a Super Bowl, he hasn't had an offense he could rely on, and his line has been like atrocious. Fair. And they reset his positioning. Like, he had to take five steps back because, oh, that's what Aaron Rodgers does. And, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Don't, don't do what Aaron Rodgers does because you can't do it. The, the thing is, he's not, a, he's not a spring chicken, right? And he's not going to be amazing into his 40th birthday like Tom Brady because he's not amazing at his current level right now. So when you're picking at number two and there's quarterbacks on the board, unless you absolutely hate Sam Darnold, at two, how does he, pardon me, unless you hate Sam Darnold, who went to the Jets at three, how do you pass on him at two? You could have had, pretend you like Josh Allen. I I don't know who, I don't know, Josh Allen is going to be the most polarizing figure in the NFL this season. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, huge arm kid from Wyoming. Buffalo gets him at number seven. Oh, he's got a huge gun. Uh, you know, he can't you know put a hole in the barn if he can hit it, but he can't always hit the barn. That's that is going to be a fascinating development, and thanks to the uh, the analytics folks, we're always going to compare Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, two different quarterbacks, but two guys who are fundamentally inaccurate passers, but go about it in totally different ways, and we're asked to do totally different things at their respective schools. One goes number seven overall, one goes number 32 overall. People talk about race and quarterbacks. Did that? How much does that factor into it? That is going to be a a super interesting one as this goes along, as their careers go along as well. But uh, Lamar's got to get in there. His uh, offensive coordinator, Marty Morningwang, saying he's way ahead of the curve already, which is fantastic because they need help in the worst way. Joe Flacco, not... I'm not hanging my hat on Joe Flacco. As Alex Marvez from Sirius XF... X, pardon me, Sirius XM joins us now. Alex, thanks for being with us, man. Hey, thank you so much for being with me. And obviously, my thoughts and prayers are with the city of Toronto. Stay strong. This too shall pass. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, as you know, uh, two people are dead. The shooter dead as well. And that big shooting on the Danforth as the investigation continues into that. I, I want to ask you, uh, Tony Sperano dying suddenly. Yeah. And I we get off to a start with this, but it, it seems like something every football person I follow on Twitter or someone I follow follows on Twitter is one, can't believe it, but two, can't say enough great things about Tony Sperano. What's his impact on the NFL? Well, we're always going to remember him for the game that he outcoached Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. And they caught the New England Patriots by surprise, right? The third week of the 2008 season, the unveiling of the Wildcat. And, you know, you see some of that, you know, still to this day, although you don't see running backs really in that position anymore, you've seen it evolve into quarterbacks using what's called an RPO, a run-pass option, when they get the uh, when they get the football. But you've seen some, some zone read, things like this. 
and really this was the forerunner of it, and how for that one day the Miami Dolphins could not be stopped by Bill Belichick. And the frustration of the Patriots coaching staff on the sideline is something that, you know, the anti-Belichick crowd will always, always relish. But, you know, Tony, unfortunately, you know, what, what happened to him happens to a lot of coaches in the NFL when you don't have a franchise quarterback. You don't win. And really, right from the get-go in 2008, the first move that the Miami Dolphins did with Tony Sperano as head coach was pass on Matt Ryan to draft Jake Long. And Jake Long is one heck of a left tackle, but Matt Ryan is a franchise quarterback. And, you know, they thought Chad Henney could be a, you know, that, that guy for them could be their franchise quarterback. And he wasn't. They never, they never figured out the quarterback position. And then Tony, you know, took over one more time as a head coach in Oakland on an interim basis. And, you know, he'll be remembered there for burying the football once the team got back, right. you know, and he took over, he buried the football. And, you know, but, you know, and he did lead him to a win. But, you know what, you see on Twitter and social media, universal respect for the guy. He loved football. He was a great offensive line coach, and he'll be sorely missed. And, by the way, I can confirm Chris Mortensen's report, and this one makes it even more tragic. Thursday, he goes into the hospital. He's having chest pains. Friday, the hospital releases him. Sunday, it appears he's died of a massive heart attack. I mean, makes you scratch your head a little bit as to what's going on, but hopefully we'll get more information on that as time goes along. Uh, that is so unfortunate. Uh, Josh Gordon just re- revealing some news in the last, say, hour that he won't be with the, with the Browns for the start uh, of training camp. He needs some time to, uh, what, to work on, on his health, as he says. I mean, obviously dealing with comebacks from, from rehab and, and everything like that. Yeah, this is really unfortunate on a, on a couple different levels here. You know, the NFL has systems in place for players that have battled substance abuse issues like Josh Gordon has, and the fact that he's not going to be there at the start of training camp, I can't imagine that this was something that, you know, initially during the off season when Josh was going through the Browns program and, and around the team that they thought that he'd be opening up training camp, still needing to go through, you know, some rehabilitation steps and things to try to keep him on the straight and narrow. You know, fortunately, from all indications, he hasn't failed any drug tests, things like this, but he may just be struggling with pressure, with things that, that come with this type of disease. And listen, it, you know, obviously football players and the NFL is a microcosm for society in a lot of ways, right? And mm-hmm. that's how I look at it with Josh. I, you know, and it's, listen, when he's on the field, I mean, this guy could be a top five wide receiver, and I am not exaggerating when I say that. He has athletic ability and gifts that you just simply can't, you know, you just you can't coach it. You know what I mean? He's just that darn good. But, you know, all the goodwill surrounding the Cleveland Browns this offseason, this one, you, you take it, you know, it hurts because this, you know, this could have been maybe the best receiving core in football, and it still could be if Josh Gordon shows up and plays in week one of the regular season. But you got Jarvis Landry, the first wide receiver with 400 catches through four NFL seasons. Corey Coleman, a first-round pick who's under the gun to produce from 2016. I mean, so it's an intriguing group to work with Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, but the Browns are a lesser team without Josh Gordon. Let's just hope he's back on the field for week one, sober and healthy which is really the key to try to make it this a long-term thing, not rushing to get a guy back on the field, then he has a slip-up, and then we don't see him again. Absolutely. Uh, Ravens offense coordinator Marty Morningweg saying Lamar Jackson is, quote, way ahead of the curve. Please, please, Alex, tell me they're going to take <laughs> Joe Flacco, they're going to take him up back, they're going to put him in a car, they're going to drive him into the woods and leave him there and just start Lamar Jackson. Not quite yet. Ah! Uh, you'll have to wait until, uh, I think, 2019 or that, or if Joe gets banged up, or if the Ravens are, are losing the season, maybe you'll get Lamar on the field. And listen, this is a very critical season for a lot of folks in the Ravens organization. Steve Bishotti, the team owner, has already said, basically, and he said it's not an ultimatum, but we all understand he's expecting the Ravens to make the playoffs. Well, what, who's the player that right now puts you in the best position to make the playoffs? Probably Joe Flacco, until proven otherwise. And it's been very, it's been mediocre play for 
Joe the past couple Ooh. seasons. We can, we can. I know we can. Mediocre is really nice of you to say. Well, you know what? I mean, but, but you think about it. The past two years, they've been you know one game away from making the playoffs. So it's not like he's been a, a five and eleven quarterback, something like that. I mean, he's but he's been a mediocre guy at best. You know, at times. Listen, he's had some good games in there. Think about this. The Ravens scored, and this is what's so crazy about this. The Ravens scored 20-plus points in every single game in the second half of last season. They're the only team in the NFL to have done that. And it's not all Alex Collins, right? I mean, (laughs) Joe, Joe had something to do with it. But listen, here's the thing. You know, if you go to Lamar, you're probably taking one step back to go two steps forward. But, you, you know, if you're John Harbaugh, are you taking a step out the front door if you make that type of decision? Yeah. Lamar, you know, and Lamar, too, listen, there are some things that, okay, he's ahead learning the playbook, but what's going to happen when he's on the field? Are his mechanics going to break down? Is he instinctually going to look to turn and run like he did in college whenever his first read was covered? I mean, those are the things that you really need to work with him on. Joe Flacco buys them some time. And listen, this guy, I'll tell you this, too, you know, he will command a market in 2019 by any team that gets squeezed out when it comes to a quarterback. If they're looking for a veteran passer, you know, the salary he earns isn't as exorbitant in today's NFL, and you still have him under contract for three more years. So really to me, this is Joe Flacco is this year's Alex Smith, the guy who needs to have a great season as a dress rehearsal for his next team. Joe Flacco, 29th in adjusted net yards per attempt last season at 4.7. Uh, let, let's just go through the list of dignitaries <laughs> in which he is surrounded. 27th, two spots of Above him was uh, CBS color analyst Jay Cutler. <laughs> right behind him in 30th was C.J. Beathard. And in 31st, just fractionally behind Joe Flacco, was Tom Savage. Uh, hey, I would rather have had you... Macho Man Savage, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Come but, on. But, you know, the go. thing about it, though, honestly, too, and again, I'm not sitting here to make excuses for Joe. The talent around him wasn't exactly great. The offensive line wasn't exactly great. But you know what Joe Flacco's paid to do, and I think you're hinting at this? He's paid to be great and to help make up for some of those things. And he just simply hasn't done that during his time post-Super Bowl as Ravens starter. Yeah, it's... I've always kind of felt the the belief of him is is outsized to what he's given, but you get that Super Bowl right, and all your sins are washed away. Everything is everything is is gone. Uh, let me ask you, Robert or Alex, before I let you go. That's the second time, and like I've called you Robert Marvis. I don't know. Do you have a brother named Robert? Alex? You know, I have a cousin named Robert who's in North Carolina. So maybe you two oh. have been in cahoots and, and trying to trying to work this on me. I don't know. I I was once in. I don't know. I was going to make up some story about how I'd met him in North Carolina. I got to stop doing that. <laughs> Offensive rookie of the year baker mayfield saquon barkley sam darnold who's the favorite go go number two saquon Saquon barkley although listen running back may be the spot the sweet spot on this one see i'm just not sure what rookie's going to take the field first i think josh rosen may may just maybe beat out sam bradford and have that inside track to start and i think we're going to see him on the field sooner than later you know shady mccoy mike garofolo of nfl network just tweeting that he is expected to show up wednesday at bill's camp and you know begin there but if shady isn't with the bills because of his legal situation and what's going on with a police investigation well then you know do you put josh allen out there with that group of wide receivers and chris ivory someone who's not going to command putting eight in the box you know that's a toughie right there for the bills so i think running backs are going to get their fair share and i think saquon is that guy you don't want to take off the field but keep an eye on darius geis with the washington Mm. 
Redskins. They love them, some Darius Geis, and he really might be the marquee running back that this team has needed, hasn't had in quite a while. And look, when Alex Smith has running back support behind him, like he did last year with Kareem Hunt, the guy can do some things. You look at and you talk about stats. How about Alex Smith, the best deep passer in the NFL last season? Who'd have thunk it, right? Yeah. He only waited 13 years to show those skills. <laughs> Finally, he did it at the right time. But it just, you know, again, I think the Redskins are an intriguing team, really good offensive line. Keep an eye on Darius Geis for that offensive rookie of the year. Oh, I can't. Can't wait. Uh, Alex, thanks so much, man. I very much appreciate your time here. Absolutely love it. Thanks again, and stay strong, Toronto. Be good. Alex Marvin is a serious XFM. Uh, XM. I don't know why I keep calling it XFM. Uh, i got to stop doing that. Uh, joining us, talking football. It is 12-16. More Johnny Manziel talk with the voice of the Ticats, the man who watched him up close, saw him practice, saw everything. What to expect from Manziel in Montreal coming up with Marshall Ferguson on TSN 1050. Absolutely, Mr. Manziel. Right this way. The champagne room is in the back. I don't know how you say that in French, but oh boy. Oh boy. Johnny Manziel, the big talk of SportsCenter yesterday, the big talk today. He draws the attention, and that attention is now going to Montreal. The Hamilton Tiger Cats trading Manziel. They're starting left tackle, and uh, their sixth offensive lineman, shout out, Landon Rice, University of Manitoba. Uh, to Montreal in exchange. They get two first-round draft picks in 2020 and 2021. They get starting Canadian defensive end Jamal Westerman. Canadians do not start at defensive end generally, and Hamilton could start two at defensive end if they really want to between Westerman and Justin Capacotti. They also get Chris Williams, the wide receiver in the trade. I'm curious how Williams fits into his to a system where they already have... Hamilton has great receivers. They have the second-best receiving core in the CFL. Now they add Chris Williams, which he occupies the same spot as a guy who had a CFL All-Star last year in Brandon Banks. So I'm curious, do they think they can get five on the field? If not, who sits out? If that's the case, can you get Williams and Banks on the field at the same time when both guys are CFL tiny? And yet both guys are absolutely dynamic can they play? Does one move inside? Does one? Do they stay outside? I'm really, I'm really curious to see Manziel though, because here's a guy with legit NFL level talent, had some real problems. But I mean, we've we've talked here before on TSN 1050 to the guys at Pro Football Focus who saw his games, who charted his games at A and M, and said, no, he can he can play, he could play. When you watch that Hamilton offense, you thought. Okay, everything you're doing with Jeremiah Masoli, you could do with Johnny Manziel. You want, you want to run six offensive linemen and a fullback, give them all the protection in the world, let them throw the ball? Johnny can do that. You want designed quarterback runs? Masoli has more designed quarterback runs than anybody in the league? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Johnny can do that too. Big field, plays into a guy's, uh, plays into his skill set, you would think, in the fact that he's not going to take a lot of direct shots. Not the biggest cat. But, I mean, you're not going to take as many direct shots in the CFL as you will in the NFL because of that bigger field. You can run away from problems. And, man, the first time he drops back out of shotgun, rolls to his left, gets pressure, turns around completely, runs back to his right, throws a ball on a rope to, say, B.J. Cunningham, a little scramble drill 40 yards downfield for a touchdown. This country, this continent is going to lose its brain. It's going to be number one on our top ten. It's going to be number one on the ESPN Sports Center top ten. Manziel Mania. 
Will he play on Thursday? How much will he play on Thursday? Dwayne Ford saying that perhaps a, a minor package. Maybe he gets in on some short yardage stuff. Montreal needs a ton of help at quarterback. So maybe some short, short yardage stuff. But come on, they got him to start ASAP. And that may very well be the next week as Montreal hosts the Hamilton Tiger Cats. For the Tiger Cats. You're trading a guy who you don't expect to play and may have been causing a bit of a distraction to your quarterback. They got the first question after the loss to Saskatchewan. Uh, have you thought about making uh, a, tr- a change at quarterback? Marshall Ferguson, the voice of the Ticats on TSN 1150, saw that game. Marshall, do you think it was the distraction that led to this trade or that they wanted to get assets? Why do you think they dealt Manziel at this time? I think it was a whole bunch of stuff, Derek. Honestly, I think it was a combination of many of those factors that you're talking about. I'm, I'm at Ticats practice right now. I watched the first hour of it already, and uh, there are two people with noticeable springs in their step, and they both happen to be wearing gold quarterback jerseys. One of them is Jeremiah Masoli, <laughs> and the other is Dane Evans, because all of a sudden, Dane Evans isn't the random guy who's in development who was on the practice roster last year. Now he is a backup who is one hit away from getting a chance to start a CFL game. But yeah, it's it's a combination of having that distraction, having that pressure behind you. Um, I've played quarterback at the university level. Competition is a natural part of being in a football situation and being a quarterback. But I just, I, I remember feeling when I ended up having, you know, guys that had backed me up before that were really, really good that I respected move on, whether because of graduation or transfers or whatnot. It was just this weird kind of calming, like, oh, okay, I can just play football again. I don't really have to worry about having this dark shadow lingering behind me. And I think, honestly, that's what's going to happen with Jeremiah here. I don't know if it's going to mean he plays that much better. I don't know if it means he's finally going to be able to finish in the red zone or be able to finish games out in the fourth quarter like all the fans in Hamilton want. What I do know is that it should, and I, and we'll see what happens moving forward. Do you think that Coach June Jones was exaggerating when he said Manziel could be the best to ever play up here? Uh, June is somebody <laughs> who doesn't know how to lie. So I Come have a very on. hard time. But I honestly know, and, and this is the funny thing I find about June Jones, and it's one of the many reasons that I really do like June Jones as a, as a coach here in Hamilton, is that June Jones has two speeds. Um, being blatantly honest with us, like the Vernon Adams Jr. move, where he straight up says to the media during yeah. training camp, we're like, hey, where's Vernon Adams? He's like, yeah, we're trading him. Yeah. And then everybody's like, no, you're not. There's no trade. And he's like, well, I mean, we're working on it and stuff. Like, we'll figure it out, I'm sure. Yeah. And then Vernon Adams Jr. doesn't get traded, and then two weeks later he gets released. Like, he was so honest that he basically screwed his own trade over. And then there's the other speed of June Jones, which is he tries to lie to us, but he doesn't really know how. So he just kind of, like, dances his way through it. And then if we ask enough questions, he ends up telling us the truth. Um, that is the funny part I found about all of this with the Manziel stuff, if he could be the greatest of all time, is that I genuinely think that based on June's background and pedigree and understanding the type of players that thrive in his offensive system, he looked at Johnny and he thought, okay, if Johnny's in the right frame of mind, if Johnny is in the right kind of uh, athletic shape to be able to run my offense, he could be crazy. And then I think June got to training camp because, remember, he made that comment well before minicamp and training camp. Right. I think, I think he got to training camp. And he saw Jeremiah, and he's like, yeah, I don't really need anything else. Like, I'm kind of good in this spot because I think this guy could be the one that puts up the crazy numbers for me because June's system takes numbers everywhere it goes. But, no, I think, I think he believes that. I think he thinks that Johnny is a great football player, uh, but it does make it a little bit precarious when you're saying a guy is amazing and then you end up trading him. Well, and then you trade him to a team that's one game behind you, in a, I mean, with 13 <laughs> games to go. 
I'm afraid of that. I want to ask you about Masoli because you've seen him, and you know I, I love my numbers with the details on the CFL. Yeah. Uh, Masoli's throwing for over 300 a game, but in five games he's got four touchdown passes versus five interceptions, and his fourth quarter passer rating is 24. And if you just throw the ball into the turf, your passer rating is 39.6. Yeah. This is the guy Hamilton is hanging its hat on. I, yeah. I'm, mod- I, I'm concerned, let's say that. <laughs> uh, I, I will say this, and I hate to do this because this is one of the things that covering Kent Austin always kind of bothered me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kent Austin told us in the media to take everything into perspective, and I would say that, that those fourth quarter numbers, if you're taking the Calgary fourth quarter into context, that's absolutely the right thing to do. If you're taking Edmonton into it, they didn't really ask them solely to do much other than hand the ball off to Mercer Timmons because he was an absolute monster in that game. If you're looking at the Winnipeg game, the game was basically out of the hand by the time they got to the fourth quarter and things were kind of in a situation where you didn't need Jeremiah to really do all that much other than complete passes here and there. The concerning ones, I think, are week four, week six. And I think if you look at those in context, you realize that Chris Jones basically built the perfect defensive game plan to beat the Hamilton Tiger Cats, which is dangerous because now he's laid down a template of how to beat them, which is stop the run on first down because it is the run and shoot offense here in Hamilton. It's not the throw the ball a thousand times a game offense. They run it to set up everything else. And so if you can stop the run on first down, you end up putting Jeremiah in second and long. And when you put Jeremiah in second and long against a lot of teams, I think he's going to be okay. Against Saskatchewan with Chris Jones' crazy second down and long blitz packages, Derek, yeah. I know you've seen them. You understand. Like, you got Toby Antigua lining up as a free safety picking you off on one <laughs> second and long, and then you've got him lining up as a corner and blitzing even though he's a defensive lineman. Like, nothing that Chris Jones does makes sense, which is funny for me on radio in Hamilton because when I'm calling games, I'm oh. trying to tell I'm trying to tell the radio listener what's happening and how people are lining up. And I'm I, I actually pulled out the call of Toby Antigua blitzing and hitting Jeremiah Masoli, popping the ball out, and Charleston Hughes going back to the end zone. And I'm like, all right, they break the huddle, ball on the left hash mark here. There's two defenders on Brandon Banks. That doesn't they're not going to double him, are they? Wait a minute, that's Toby Antigua, and the ball's going the other direction. Like <laughs> that, that's basically how I called the action because I'm like, I don't know what Chris Jones is doing. So. Those fourth quarter numbers, they, they definitely make sense in the context of week four, week six. Uh, I do think that if you look at the interception that was thrown at the end of week six as well, this past game on Thursday night, that was just a throwaway garbage time trying to make anything possible happen that's going to count against him in the sack category. But, but with all that being said, if I'm not the biggest believer in the numbers being kind of a coverall for the first three games they played over this five-game stretch, I do think that the point stands that you're making. He's got to be better in the fourth quarter, no doubt. Well, and and it's Marshall Ferguson, TSN 1150, the voice of the Tie Cats, with us. Masoli is fundamentally an inaccurate passer in a league that is 71 percent passing. And yeah, and uh, uh, full credit. This has made me go, wow. June Jones really knows how to do it because he's made Masoli into a real player. It's just you have to throw. To, to win in this league. And when Bo Levi-Mitchell has nine touchdowns and three picks, Calgary's in a different league, you can't, be, you can't be under 50-50. I'll say this, too, and I think this is something that everybody has to, to kind of keep an eye on moving forward with the Tiger Cats now that Jeremiah Masoli has got this huge vote of confidence with the Manziel trade, is that I've watched Jeremiah Masoli since about 2014. Like, essentially, since he's been a Tiger Cat, um, it was casually when I was a student at McMaster University when there was training camp happening. I would drop over, I would watch, I would watch all the Tiger Cats games before I was in the media. Then I started covering the team. I really got to know his skill set. I used to watch some of his old games at Oregon to get a sense of kind of where he came from, the offenses that he played in. And I've come to realize June Jones showing up is a 
huge boost to Jeremiah's game. Everybody yeah. understands that. Like you're talking about him being able to shape him into a quarterback that's that's more accurate, that gives him a higher completion percentage, that throws for more yards. All of that is 100% true. But at the same time that that has happened, Jeremiah has found a new level to his game that's not system dependent. And I think that's important to mention because it totally makes sense that June Jones is going to make you a better quarterback. But Jeremiah, I think it's kind of like chicken and the egg. Jeremiah saw the opportunity he had in front of him with June Jones having confidence in him. And Jeremiah, I think this offseason just went to work because he came back with a different level of touch. And training camp is a dangerous place to make assumptions about how the next 21 to 24 weeks will go. But in training camp, Jeremiah made throw after throw after throw that I'd never seen him make before. And I'm talking about in his entire career, all the way back to Oregon and Ole Miss. And so I think that's important that you've got a lot of this stuff happening because June is here, but you've also got Jeremiah improving the level of his game. And if they can get back to the way that they were playing in the first couple of weeks and the efficiency they played with in week two against Edmonton where they won on the road, the Ticats, I think, are the team to beat in the East if they get back to that level. But they have to be able to finish, like you're saying, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and Saskatchewan, I mean, Saskatchewan's defense is titanic. It's, I mean, Calgary's is, is clubbing everybody, but Saskatchewan yeah. is a unique bird. They went to those matchups, DBs and receivers, uh, probably to cover for Deron Carter. But it was, <laughs> it's been a fascinating to watch Saskatchewan go and, and to see that happen. Uh, I got about 30 seconds. I have to ask you, Hamilton at Montreal next week. Uh, it, will that be the most you've ever looked forward to calling a CFL game? It's going to be a circus, and I can't wait. It yes. is everything that is great about the Canadian Football League. It's pomp and circumstance. It's Friday night in Montreal. You're going to have all the great smells of the Montreal Stadium on a Friday evening. The beers will be flowing. The lights will be on, and it's going to be Manziel versus Masoli. I could not wish for anything better at the start of the year. It's going to be crazy, but that's what we love. Oh, boy, and it's going to be a battle for second place in the East if things go right. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, Marshall, looking forward to, to hearing more of your calls on TSN 1150. Thanks for being with us, brother. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Marshall Ferguson, the voice of the Ty Cats on TSN 1150. It is 1235 on Toronto Today. We're going to talk a little more Manziel, a little Tiger Woods, a little bit of everything. Spice it up as we continue here on Toronto Today. Domino's is celebrating its 35th birthday in Canada, but we're the ones giving out the presents. Beginning at 11 a.m. on Tuesday, July 24th at Domino's Pizza Stores across Ontario, get up to three medium pepperoni or cheese pizzas for just $3.50 each. Yes, only $3.50 for a medium pizza on carryout orders. Plus, $1 from every pizza sold will be donated to Sick Kids Foundation. Help kids get a $3.50 medium pizza and say happy birthday at your local Domino's on July 24th. If I could create the perfect radio station... There would be a lot of Bruno Mars. There would be a lot of, say, the first three albums of Boys to Men. Uh, obviously, a lot of Cardi B because you just gotta you, you gotta have it. Uh, but man, there's if you're going to a concert, go see Bruno Mars. I saw him early. I've seen his most recent tour. When I saw him early, I thought, oh, this guy's this guy's gonna be James Brown, and I can't wait till he gets bigger and his show gets bigger. And it got bigger, and it's. It's outstanding. That dude knows how to entertain. Go see it. Buy his albums. Buy them all now. I get a little cut if you do, but go buy them all now. Amazing. Hey, uh, Lease Busters, we'll get you out of your car lease today. It's as easy as pie. It's a piece of cake. Avoid penalties and early termination fees if you visit leasebusters.com. want to talk a little bit about the Open Championship. I am not on the Tiger Woods train. I, I, I just haven't been. The, the comeback, 
it gets close, and, and then it's not close. And he says things like, well, it would have been great if not for those last two holes. And I think, well, yes, that's what we all say. That is what golf is. Uh, my buddy JP would be shooting 72s if it wasn't for the last two holes. It, it goes bad sometimes. It looked really good. I mean, he looked good for, for really good stretches of this Open Championship. Uh, 18, you know, he, was, he was in the lead, what, on 11. He was six under, in the lead, looked great. Drops a couple strokes back, and then because he's Tiger Woods, some moron yells in his backswing on 18. And thankfully, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't affect him too terribly much because his first shot, I mean his tee shot that the guy yells in, it's not too far off the fairway. His second shot is incredible. Third shot, he misses a makeable putt, so ends up with a par on 18. So thankfully, we don't have to discuss it much more than Man, that guy's an idiot, as opposed to, man, that idiot cost Tiger Woods the tournament because uh, he was not going to catch you know, a minus nine that Francesco Molinari put up. But, Producer Joe, are, are you on the Tiger Woods train? Are you thinking that... Uh, I've said Tiger will not win before the end of the 2019 season unless he plays some sort of you know, second-level event. Where are you on the Tiger Woods comeback? I think Tiger Woods is back. I think this is now Tiger Woods. Well, I, I, we'll fight about that in 30 seconds. Well, Go okay, ahead. here's what I mean by that. I don't picture Tiger Woods as this dominant, you know, golfer that people are afraid of. And he like Tiger Woods. Exactly. Like, 90, like 2004 Tiger Woods. Right. Yeah. I believe Tiger Woods is in the maybe top 50, top 30 golfers around right now. And on any given weekend and any given Sunday, no pun intended, Tiger Woods could win a tournament because other people aren't playing as well. But I would rather go into a tournament looking at players like Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy than think Tiger Woods is going to be the golfer that can take over a tournament. I don't believe he's that person anymore or that player anymore. Well, and that that to me is Tiger Woods' is back because Tiger Woods was unbeatable. Unbeatable. If you were in the final pairing with Tiger Woods, your knees knocked. And again, I'm not a I'm not a kinesiology expert. That's not the best way to hit a golf shot when your knees are banging together because you're terrified of. If apart from Bob May, everybody was terrified of Tiger Woods. Terrified. No one could handle him. Now Tiger Woods had to lead on what it was eleven. If Tiger Woods was back, he wins that tournament by a shot. He goes to 10 under par by the end, and he wins it by a shot because no one can catch him. So, to me, he, he people keep saying back, but we, I guess we have different definitions of back. Yeah, I think everybody's hoping that the dominant Tiger Woods can come back, the person that kind of attracted, I would say, you know, 70% of the new, you know, the new age golfer. Like everybody golfs now that didn't before, I think, apart because of Tiger Woods and what he was able oh, yeah. to do and to make you enjoy a game that ultimately is very boring. But and I love golfing and I know it's boring. But Tiger Woods made it cool and he made you want to do it. But to think that Tiger Woods is going to come back and be this dominant figure like you were explaining that used to strike fear in the hearts of every golfer other than like Bob May and David Duvall. Yeah. It's impossible to expect. Not to mention all of these kids now almost revel in wanting to play with Tiger Woods rather than I hope to God it doesn't happen. Yeah. Like Jordan Spieth was saying he hopes he always wanted one day to go toe-to-toe with Tiger on a Sunday to win a major. If you were to ask a golfer that 15 years ago, they would say, there's no way in hell I ever want to be golfing against Tiger Woods on a Sunday in a major. <laughs> it it really seemed like it, didn't it? And I, I kind of wonder, it, it, was, it was a little before my time, but 
Tiger's 42. I wonder if when Jack Nicholas was 42, I mean, he was still four years away from winning his final major, but were people afraid of playing Jack Nicholas at the age of 42? 32, sure. 42. Being on the other side of 42, it's not pretty. But I would say, too, in that generation of golfers, there was legends outside of just Jack. And people forget... Well, like, Palmer a little before him, sure. Well, he had just finished, but then you still had Greg Norman, you had Nick Faldo, you had players that could compete and were, at some point, the best golfers in the world. At the end of Jack's career, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm with you. And those guys went toe-to-toe with Jack Nicholas when he was also a good golfer, and they were able to win majors. So they kind of aged with him and got to see him age and kind of deteriorate. Nobody got to witness Tiger deteriorate. He was great, got hurt, came back, and sucked. So there was this, there's almost a separation between the golfers that are talented and stars now because they never got to witness playing with Tiger as he deteriorated, as he got a little worse. They just kind of saw him dominate. He got injured and left. Interesting. He had problems. And now he's this kind of like figment of your imagination. Like you almost remember what Tiger was. Yeah. But now you're playing against a totally different person. And I don't think he has the same intimidation factor. Whereas... Oh, it's not. It's not even close because he's not the, mo- he's not the biggest kid on the block anymore, right? Because, right. I mean, how many guys... Did a dozen guys hit balls over 400 yards in, in the open? Like, it's... Yeah, it's a different world right now. And to your point, when Jack won his major, at, his last major at the Masters, Seve Ballesteros blew up. And he said that he heard roars from... Jack's crowds, and he knew that Jack was chasing him down, and he knew what he could do. Yeah, Nobody knows anymore what Tiger Woods can do, and I think that's what is an X factor either way. Tiger could storm back and do something amazing, and you know the other golfers could just not be intimidated by it because they don't really think he can or know if he can. Yeah, just when you think of the no-names that finished above Tiger Woods, and, I mean, these guys are all professional golfers and, and incredible what they do, but Francesco Molinari... I did not. I was unaware of his run up, his incredible run up to uh, the Open Championship. Xander Shoffley was the guy I said is going to win on Saturday. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm on Team Xander. I I had never heard of Xander Shoffley before the 2018 golf season. There are relative no names that are that are taking Tiger Woods out in tournaments, and and yeah, it it, it comes down to semantics, right? What's back? Is back competing? Is back finishing top ten in a major? He's there, but is I mean back is you're still four majors shy of Jack Nicholas. That will be back. It would be it would be amazing for golf, but I I don't know. I'm uh, I'm alone on an island. I mean, the 17th of TPC Sawgrass. I and I'm not buying it. I'll believe it when I see it. But now, what are you not buying that Tiger will never be like the most dominant golfer in the world again? Oh, there's zero chance he's the most dominant golfer in the world again. That that ship is long sailed. But I'm I'm just not buying that he. I'm not buying that he's going to win a major. I'm not buying that he's going to win between now and the end of next year. See, I think I could see how you think that, but at the same time, I believe Tiger Woods could win a major and could win a golf tournament. But I don't think it's in the same way that we're used to it happening. Like, for example, this major was actually the perfect storm for Tiger Woods to win. Well, and he said that going into it. Like, this is a course where I don't need to hit driver. And it, it worked out well for him, mostly irons off the tee. Yeah. Not to mention when all of the leaders are coming back and falling down and shooting 73 and 74, 
realistically, Tiger had two holes that cost him the entire tournament. He had a double and a bogey that followed it up. And with those three strokes, Tiger Woods wins the tournament. Yeah, but to, to that point, Jordan Spieth ends Thursday going double bogey, bogey, par bogey. If he doesn't do that, everybody can say that. Like In those final four holes, if Spieth doesn't barf up four strokes on those final four holes of the first day, Spieth wins the tournament going away. And I think that's how ultimately one day Tiger Woods will win again. Just in the same way that we saw Ernie Els win the British Open the year that... um, Oh man, why am I blanking? The uh, Aussie... What, what are we talking? Like Norman or what are you? No, no, no. Just about like four or five years ago, he just won the ma- oh He gosh. just won the Masters. Uh, Adam Scott. Adam he took Scott. out Driver in uh, on the 18th hole and he double bogeyed. And Ernie Els won the British Open. People will make mistakes because the golfers that are now great are no longer these dominating forces. They're just very good. And I would say, outside of DJ, I have not seen. A legitimate guy that can go like just demolish courses when he feels like it since Tiger. Really? Not even Spieth? My thing with Jordan Spieth is he doesn't have the distance off the tee and I don't think he has the mental fortitude to be able to dominate. But before whatever's happening now, that dude putted the crap out of the ball and it's putt for dough. And he, like to your point, up until you know this last little stretch of about a year, he was on pace to do if the same if not better than Tiger because he, oh, yeah. his majors to age was, I think, better than Tiger. I think was on par with Jack. Yep. I just think there's a part of the game that now is impossible to look past, and it's, to your point, guys can hit a 350. Like, I was watching the British Open. They're like, hey, he's going to bomb about 380, have a wedge in. <laughs> and it was a normal conversation to them, but when you can only hit a 290 to 320, it's a huge disadvantage because now you start becoming a horse for a course. Yeah, and the older that Jordan Spieth gets, I know he's only twenty four, but when he's thirty and thirty two, and more guys can hit it three forty, and he's now regressing, you have to be that be... much better at the rest of it, right? Right. Which is where that every you know he hits everything under twelve feet on the green. He just he drops him in at a ridiculous rate, uh, propped him up for so long. But yeah, and you have to do that because to your point, when Jordan Spieth is hitting a 5-iron in and Dustin Johnson's hitting a 9-iron in... It's so silly now. It's unfair, right? Because he's playing human golf and the other guys are playing machine golf. and Uh. They're just smacking as far as they can go and they have wedges in their hands. And that's to your point. If you can't putt and you have a 5-iron in your hand, the odds of you sticking it 3 feet is pretty hard. Yeah, it's... To some degree, it's like golden tea, right? We all remember golden tea from the bar or your play. Yeah, the track ball. You would jam your wrist into it and put yourself on the DL for 15 days playing golden tea, and you'd shoot 21 under par because, man, you could just drive the crap. It's, it's gotten to be like that, which is, is entertaining. Help me out here. This is, my, this is my idea. If I ran a golf tournament, if I ran one of the golf majors, uh, the U.S. Open wants to beat you to death, right? They want you to finish at par. The Masters is the Masters. Nothing will ever change. The Open, with its conditions, can just crush you. If I was the PGA champion, I just want to see... I wouldn't go like modified Stableford scoring, but I would just want just comically low scores. I would want minus 35 to win it. I would just want birdie and... I want eagle holes everywhere. Drivable par fours all over the course. Would you watch that major? I think I would watch that major, but I think that the toughest part about that would be it kind of crushes you 
when you start watching them dominate the game, if you enjoy the game, because sometimes the best part of watching golf is watching guys get dismantled. Not like not to U.S. Open territory where guys shoot like 76s and they hit every green in regulation. That's yeah. just unfair. But like, you know, you're on the course and you think to yourself, you know what? I can't hit a driver and neither can Tiger Woods. I I would just I would just want to see them rope out 400 yard drive, yeah. roll it up on the green. Someone's going to ace a par four to you know on 17 on the final day to put themselves in contention. You're like, oh my god, look at this Shoffley. He holds it out on on the 71st hole. They're going to go to some ridiculous playoff. Just just make one super easy for everybody. My comparable to that is I've always wanted to see the steroid Olympics. <laughs> the old Kevin Nealon skit on Saturday Night Live. I'm cool where, with it. Where the weightlifter pulls his arms off yeah. and starts bleeding all over I everything. I just want, like, you know what? You go, you want guys to hit 500, like, feet home uh. runs? I'm down. Give them, let, let them do whatever they want. I want to see, like, the craziest Olympics you could ever. And that's, I think, to your point, the craziest major ever. Just, uh. like, 240-yard par fours. Go nuts. The liver transplants are up 250% in the last decade thanks to Joe Narsa's steroid Olympics. My goodness. Uh, the Golf Insider is always brought to you by Subaru. Summer nights made for Subaru with lease rates from 0.5% at your local Ontario Subaru dealer. Subaru confidence in motion. With a couple minutes left, yes, Johnny Manziel, the big story of the day, going to the Montreal Alouettes. Should he be a Toronto Argonaut? Is it a flaw in the current Argos system that there was zero chance that Johnny Manziel was going to be an Ar- going to be an Argonaut? I can't imagine any circumstance, and I wish I'd thrown this out to to Marshall or to uh, Dwayne Ford, our CFL analyst. I can't imagine any situation where the Mark Tressman uh, Argos take in Johnny Manziel because they do not like distractions; they like perfect sixty-yard formations. For the national anthem, they like things the way they like them. And, I mean, Trestman's record of success, you can't argue with that. Is that one of the downsides of it, that this guy who would have drawn like drawn bodies to BMO Field, they had a little over 10,000 for the game against Winnipeg. I mean, if you could have put out Johnny Manziel and, well, Terrell Owens is a free agent, just start throwing out some bodies. But... Manziel, I mean, Terrell Owens is 44, and come on. He wasn't going to play. Come on. He's in great shape for a 44-year-old, but come on. 44 ain't 24. In every sport, in every facet, it just it's not the same. But Manziel would have turned a lot of heads, and Toronto could use some heads being turned uh, toward the Argos. But he is off to Montreal. I Man, whenever the Alouettes come to Toronto for that game... It is going to be bonkers. People, Manziel jerseys all over the place. More Manziel jerseys. Manziel hats. Comeback season. Money. People are going to be making it rain. Is it going to hurt Manziel that making it rain in Canada is loonies and not dollar bills? That's got to be weird. It's. I don't know where it's going to go. I, I think Manziel has all the talent needed to run a CFL team. Honestly, to get back to the NFL, Montreal is a special kind of city. And when you look at the Alouettes, who are the leaders in the locker room? I honestly don't know the answer to that. You might, uh, well, Ernest Jackson, Grey Cup winner, uh, and I believe Grey Cup MVP. Oh, no, might have been the MVP of that Grey Cup in 2015. But 
the star of that Ottawa Red Blacks Grey Cup team been really relegated to a to a side role in Montreal? Is he the leader that needs? Who's going to keep Johnny on the straight and narrow? If it goes good, if it goes horribly, horribly wrong, who's going to keep him on the straight and narrow? Just from a football perspective, not even the life stuff, because that that would be totally separate. I can't wait to see it. It's Thursday Night Football on TSN. Edmonton in Montreal, 7 Eastern, across the network. And then the next week, it's the Friday Night Football game. Hamilton at Montreal. What Dwayne Ford says he expects to be Johnny's first start in the CFL. I will be watching. You'll be watching. I I would almost get on a train to go see it. It would be unbelievable to watch Johnny get it done. Plenty more. Johnny Talk. Don't forget to vote for Sound Wars at tsn1050.ca. Vote for Phil Kessel in the Kessel Conference. It just seems right, right? It's great stuff. Thanks for being with me. Derek Taylor is TSN 1050. Toronto Today, also TSN 1050.ca. Have a great day.